Welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast dedicated to unlocking global understanding. Join us as we engage with experts and innovators who are reshaping the way we connect with global audiences. Whether seeking to refine your approach, wanting to expand your understanding of AI and its role in transcending global communication barriers, or just curious about the intricacies of global content, this podcast promises to enlighten and inspire. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Globally Speaking Podcast. I'm Vasagi Kothandapani, Senior Vice President of Strategic Accounts at RWS. I head the ser- train AI service line responsible for providing a range of AI data services, and I also manage multiple global accounts. To build AI applications, we need large amounts of data. Data scientists spend almost 80% of their time on prepping and managing data to build AI models. Why is AI training data important? The quality and quantity of training data sets are crucial to the accuracy and effectiveness of machine learning models. The more diverse and representative the data is, the better the AI model can generalize and perform on new unseen data. In today's podcast, let's talk about train AI and how the services contribute to building industry-leading AI systems. Joining me today is Melanie Peterson, who's the program director for Train AI and will provide valuable insights on the services and her experience. Melanie, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us more about your career path and experience? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So as you mentioned, my name is Melanie Peterson and I am the program director for Train AI, which is a data services center of excellence for RWS. I've been working in this industry on both the client and vendor side for 10 years, and before that, I was part of the localization industry, so have been working very long uh, in both both areas, Um, but with data services, I'm learning something new every day, which thrills me. It's constantly keeping me challenged, and um, I've had the ability to work on a lot of really amazing projects. I would say my first introduction to AI was working on a project with IBM Watson, starting in 2010, and actually continued through the run of Watson as a contestant on Jeopardy. That was really thrilling to me because, as you know, much of what we do is covered in confidentiality, but it's really exciting to turn on a show and say, see this computer? Uh, That's what I'm doing every day. And I had the ability to learn so much, spending almost a year traveling to New York, going to the IBM offices and learning from some of the most brilliant data scientists uh, in the in the world, frankly. So Melanie, my first question for you, what sort of skills do you need to be working on AI training data projects? That's such a great question and one that I hear all the time, even outside of clients, but from families and friends who are really curious if they can do this type of work. And I would say we have all sorts of people from all backgrounds working on train AI projects, but there isn't so much of a a specific skill that you need, but a list of things that are really important to have to be successful. And I would say my top list here is attention to detail. When you're looking at this data, whether it's annotation, labeling, collection, the details matter and you have to be laser focused on what you're looking at. You need to be adaptable. I myself have found how adaptable we need to be just as 
as uh, leaders in this space, but even as someone who's working, you need to know that the client will always be changing what you're doing. And you can't be so regimented that you only want to do one specific task and never learn and do other pieces of it. You need to be highly collaborative, both with your project team, with the client. You need to be able to listen and understand what they're asking for and wanting to work together with a team. Time management is probably next to attention to detail, the biggest, the biggest one. We're constantly looking at averages and how quickly or slowly we're training the data. So you need to be able to do your tasks in the time allotted. And then just being a continuous learner. I myself am a continuous learner. I know most of us in this space are, but you're constantly going to receive feedback, not to take the feedback personally, to be able to learn from the feedback and apply it to whatever work you're doing. That's awesome, uh, um, Melanie. Uh, I understand that uh, the complexity of your uh, you know, uh, activities or the services could be different based on the type of projects uh, uh, you perform. Um, uh, do you sometimes need any special skills to do a very complex task versus a, maybe a simple annotation or a labeling task? Absolutely. We're starting to see this trend with the introduction of Gen AI and the LLM models where we need really specific domain expertise. So we've recently had projects that required us to use data, data scientists and calculus experts and even a rocket scientist. And on the flip side of that, we had uh, the need for a chef. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. That is uh, probably the newest thing that we've seen in the past year with a really focused shift on domain expertise. That's that's very interesting. Um, I, I believe as you're uh, supporting the build of AI applications, which is going to touch every facet of life, I think you would need representative uh, skill sets of um, you know people who could come and uh, work on these services, right? So that's, that's quite interesting to know. Um, so what is a typical training data task like? Can you give us some examples? Absolutely. Um, and just as we just talked about, I would say without a doubt, with the introduction of the LLM and Gen AI models, we're seeing these training tasks change and evolve. But, you know, I think the core favorites, as I would call them, are, uh, you know, data collection, scraping mm-hmm. and scraping and collecting data, um, data creation, annotation and labeling. Um, we're also doing a lot of audio recordings to listen to different voices and um, sentiment analysis and things like that. Um, but a great example for you know those of us that don't uh, live and breathe this every day of annotation tasks is take you know a thousand images of a city street. We're going to be using boxes to highlight different features. For instance, this is a car, this is a tree, this is a human, this is a dog. So putting those boxes around the pictures to show the computer that every time they see this same image, the likelihood of that is it's a human or this is a dog. Um, mm-hmm. That's very simplistic, but I think it's a really um, a really good way for the for the average 
uh, person who <laughs> doesn't have to look at this every day like we do um, mm -hmm. to understand what a data annotation task might be. Sure. Thanks, uh, Melanie. In fact, the example you gave is um, one of my favorites from the uh, computer vision side of the house, um, uh, kind of building applications which can see and perceive like a human. So the annotation example you gave in terms of um, labeling or annotating the objects, features, uh, it's, it's, it's going to make this uh, system so much better. Um, thank you. So let me move on to the next question. Um, what types of companies are asking for AI training data services? Well, that's a loaded question because right now I would say <laughs> everyone. It's, uh, you know, I like to say that it's AI bingo right now. So everyone, it's the buzzword that, that everyone's talking about and all the companies are really looking to engage because they don't want to be left behind. And they're mm -hmm. trying, they're trying to figure out what, what, they can do that will help their business thrive, especially in an economy that we have right now. Everyone's looking for ways that they can optimize their spend. And so we're really seeing, of course, the big technology companies <clears throat> who will continue to be a driver in this space and, and bring the demand. But some of the most recent pivots that have been exciting for us is, you know, working with the finance industry as they're looking at AI to predict their market trends, to work with their customers on, you know, how to, how to best approach their money. Um, healthcare obviously mm -hmm. is going to be one of the biggest opportunities that we have to solve some very critical illnesses, but also how can they, Look at way for look at ways that they can handle patient care, diagnostics, and then of course you know we have retail and e-commerce that's coming to us more and more to figure out how they can personalize their ads. <laughs> you know the ads we see every day um, come up as we scroll on our phones and mm -hmm. and look at social media. So I would say it's really evolved since I first got involved, where it would just really heavily be just the tech companies to all aspects of, you know, the clients we deal with every day at RWS. Got it. Um, I, I believe um, uh, as AI is going mainstream, almost every industry, every uh, organization is looking at creating an AI application or, um, you know, uh, utilizing the training AI data services as you uh, described it. Uh, my next question for you what techniques and tools do you typically use for uh, training data? Yeah. So from the tools aspect, we have some internal tooling that we have developed uh, specialized for our clients. And we also have a, have a tool called Keely that we're using for a platform for any of our clients who do not have their own platforms. But from a technique standpoint, we're really... Um, a partner in helping to clean data, to augment the data, to create larger data sets. Um, we're able to do some pre-annotation for our clients so that they can reduce their uh, time to market for some of their data um, and really uh, being able to partner in those areas, I think has made us uh, a thought leader in this space. So constantly evolving and and bringing new technologies to our um, to our clients is is really important for us. 
how do you get an AI training data project up and running? What would be the important steps that you have to uh, utilize to create a project? Yeah, absolutely. I would say we're a well-oiled machine um, at project initiation. So we're really mm-hmm. we're really starting by looking at the project and picking the best team. We have the ability to have really smart folks on the ground who are doing different projects. So identifying what project it is that we're working on, who's going to be the team with the most experience, and who are going to be the thought leaders to help our clients, um, you know, improve whatever aspect of uh, training they're doing. After that, we're obviously working to understand from the clients their exact requirements around quality, their end goals. And probably the most crucial point is ensuring they have well-written and thoughtful guidelines that we can hand to the resources that are working on our projects. I think after that, we're going to look at the initial data what are they giving us? Do we need to augment any of that data with uh, you know, some collection or creation? What are we doing to build training for the community, whether it's e-learning or testing or um, any aspects to really help our resources be well-versed in, in the project they're doing? Um, and then just continuing to deliver the work, iterate on the results, um, training and continuing to do our human in the loop um, iterative process to make sure that we're uh, delivering as needed to to the client. Um, can you describe some common challenges that you encounter with um, um, AI training data? And um, uh, are there any um, uh, best practices that you apply so that you can avoid common pitfalls um, uh, you know, delivering these kind of projects? Absolutely. I would say the two biggest ones right now that we're experiencing from um, from our end is, you know, insufficient or bad data. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we need very large sets of data that um, is also sourced um, ethically and uh, is, is correct for the project that we're trying to do. Um, And, you know, part of that ethical piece is the data privacy issues, which I would say would be some of the other common challenges. It's important to be a partner with with these end clients so that they understand um, that neglecting data privacy is going to be a huge pitfall for them. Uh, Anywhere from GDPR to the new regulations that have been set out by the White House just this month, um, you know, ignoring these strict guidelines, they're putting their business at risk for for lawsuits, for fines from the government. And then you're also putting yourself at risk for potentially exposing all of your real data um, of everyday users like, like you and me um, out, on the, out in the World Wide Web. Um, the other pitfalls we see are, and, and one that we're really active with working on our clients with is neglecting, you know, the continuous, continuous monitoring and training of the resources. Uh, we really like to push for the uh, calibration meetings, weekly calibration meeting, meetings so that we can show what we're seeing in the data, what our resources are reporting back, and how they can change some of the aspects of how their model is, um, is working to create more effective um, data. And then I would say, you know, you asked about this earlier, and 
um, we're really pushing this lately because we're seeing just um, failing to use domain experts is mm-hmm. is uh, is going to be a pitfall. And we've seen the real benefit of using experts in smaller quantities rather than um, the wrong resources, you know, at a very large scale. My next question to you, Melanie, um, is around uh, Gen AI. <laughs> I think you uh, um, obviously mentioned about LLMs and uh, how Gen AI has taken the world by storm. Can you talk about any interesting projects that you have supported in this space? We are supporting several right now, and um, one has been very interesting for us because it's allowed us to really um, focus on, you know, new training techniques around prompt engineering, the QAing of prompts, um, red teaming, you know, which I think is probably the word of the week in AI bingo. Um, (laughs) We're doing a lot of QA of the prompts and the answers that another vendor has done. And you can see in some of those answers that there's bias introduced. So anytime Mm -hmm. we see an answer that's full of like, clearly someone's personal opinions, we have to flag that and rewrite it. Um, and that, and that's where the guidelines like come into play because we're not, we don't want to just allow it to, you know, I think when chat GBT first came out, for instance, um, when people were testing it, you saw all of these things come out where like political opinions were inserted or, um, you know, racist opinions were inserted, which is was horrifying because, like, you don't want your children to see that. So that's that's where a lot of this, like, red teaming um, is coming in right now and rewriting these prompts and being very vigilant about the, the QA um, of these prompts. And, and really focusing using our huge RWS community on those domain experts, um, assigning different experts to different pieces of the Gen AI um, is allowing us to see a substantial increase in quality. Um, and then, you know, just evolving on that, learning learning from our clients' results, learning from our own um, QA efforts, how we can continuously uh, help our client in this space and, um, and offer new services because they're changing every day, they're going to continue to change every day, and we need to be ahead of, of uh, you know, what our clients need so that we can continue to be a valued uh, partner for them. Very good. Um, next question for you. Um, is there a particular um, example uh, of a challenging problem or a situation you encountered while delivering some of these large uh, AI training data programs. Um, if you could quote one or two of them and uh, uh, also talk about uh, any lessons learned from that experience. Yes, the one that's top of mind is just because I was talking about it uh, yesterday, uh, just, you know, as I'm always learning and evolving and um, and we see different projects. But I would say one of the most challenging projects I ever had to deal with um, as a leader was a project that involved rating and labeling of Western-style women's clothing uh, using resources in APAC. 80% of them were male. So immediately, <laughs> red flags you know, go up when you hear, <laughs> how do you become successful when you have to overcome cultural challenges? 
um, by using mass over domain expertise at a smaller scale. So, you know, as you constantly go through the testing efforts, you're, you're thinking of ways that you can overcome that. So some of the ways that we did that were like a rigorous pre-testing. We wanted to see if these resources had any knowledge of Western culture. And from there, put them into training modules, help to, you know, educate people that don't have that everyday knowledge because, you know, why would they? Their culture um, ha- is completely different when it comes to what what they would wear to weddings, what we would wear to weddings, and really just helping to train um, that knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. And then we finally decided to go back to the client and ask if we could use smaller sampling in different locations um, to see if we could achieve similar results or actually better results um, with these smaller specialized skill sets. So it's really important, like as I look as I look through new projects that we get, current projects, to not just think you have all the answers at, at the start, like work through these pitfalls, work through these challenges, understand that not everything is is super easy and clear and we can do it, but how can we um, adapt to the request? How can we make um, make the most out of it? And how can we be thought leaders to our uh, clients? But that one was really challenging. It kept me up at night, I would have to say. Um, but, you know, we, d- we delivered in the end and um, and it's one that I'm always thinking about as we get new requests. No, that's a great example, uh, uh, Melanie. In fact, uh, uh, while you were describing the challenge as well as how you solved for it, you kind of summarized uh, almost all the topics we discussed, right? In terms of uh, finding the right skill set to work on the problem, uh, identifying candidates with the right cultural nuances so that you don't build a system uh, with the wrong cultural context, for example, uh, you also touched upon the right uh, training and qualification, uh, using the right um, you know process to uh, uh, test and make sure that the product is delivered. So that that was a nice summary, I would say. <laughs> um, so moving on to my last question, uh, rather an important one. Um, I know that we are uh, in the era of uh, you know AI governance and a uh, lot of regulations around uh, putting guidelines on how a AI system is built. So my question to you is, um, what is your approach to handling bias and fairness in training data? How do you ensure that the models you train are ethically sound and avoid reinforcing existing biases? This is really a hot topic right now, as you know, um, and one that, mm-hmm. that we internally spend a lot of cycles thinking about. The way that we are approaching this currently and you know, always evolving is starting at the guidelines we are able to help not introduce bias by keeping very specific, very structured guidelines because we want all of our resources using the exact same methodology in their work. The more stringent your guidelines are, the less room for introduction of their own bias and, um, Mm-hmm. and skewing results. So we've been able to work with our clients in a lot of these aspects to make sure that we're seeing these guidelines, we're tightening these guidelines as we see any 
um, skewing of the data from particular resources. The other thing that I would say is that we try to use people from all aspects um, in any of the any of the projects. So if we're sourcing for the United States, we don't want to use just people from Alaska or just people from Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to we want to introduce as many people in the locale as possible so that you're not skewing any of your data to just one place or one um, type of mindset. Very good. Um, yeah, I think it's it's such an important uh, aspect of building the teams itself, right? Uh, one of the use cases which is uh, close to my heart is uh, use cases for accessibility. Um, I believe the bias and fairness aspects are uh, reinforced force use cases because you are looking at a special group of candidates. And uh, I think the process and practices you mentioned uh, would be so relevant uh, when you're building something uh, which which constantly needs to be tested for fairness. Well, uh, thank you, Melanie, for uh, this interesting conversation and sharing your insights. Uh, Thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the discussion. See you next time for another episode about AI.